Hello and welcome to the Crux of the Matter, the podcast by pastors for pastors. This is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Pastor Scott Stigmeyer. And it is a pleasure to be with you guys to get today. How are you today, Scott? I'm doing great. It's warm today. Yeah, it's kind of warm here too. Almost, uh, uh, I'm thinking we're going to push the 90 degrees range. Uh, yeah, so that's good. And it's the sun's shining and uh, that is all just fine and dandy. So um, I have been a little bit uh, under the weather, mentally speaking. So uh, uh, so what are we going to talk about today, Scott? Well, today our discussion is going to be baptism and uh, not just the doctrine of baptism or what Lutherans believe about baptism, although we may touch on those things, but really the pastoral questions of how do you prepare someone for baptism uh, if it's an adult or an older person, older child, or how do you uh, prepare parents if you're going to do an infant baptism? Are there ever times when you might not, when it might not be pastorally responsible to baptize someone? Um, it's a question. It's worth asking. And uh, what about families that uh, bring their child to baptism but don't bring their child to church? They don't participate in a divine service. They don't take their kids to Sunday school. And you know, those kinds of complicated pastoral sure. questions are what we're going to go for today. Good. I think that'll be. Uh, I think that'll be useful. This is. I think that this is a classic example, Scott, of something that every Lutheran pastor deals with on a on a very regular basis this um uh, you know we all struggle with the question of what is the relationship between our theology our theology of baptism and our theology of pastoral care you know what is my responsibility to these people who I'm baptizing it's kind of the yeah abs- absolutely what is my responsibility and you know also, speaking of parents again, what is um, what is their responsibility? Right. And, you know, it's it's not just simply to bring the child to baptism. I mean, obviously, we commend that and and we recommend that and we want that to happen. But um, you know, it's a problem. It's problematic if someone brings their infant to be baptized, but they just simply vanish in all uh, realistic ways from the church's life after that. Maybe they come back for confirmation class. Right. Well, maybe um, maybe the way for us to start start with this is sort of establish what the normal is, and then work our way out to the extraordinary. I think I think when we talk about practices like this, it's very easy for us to move right into exceptionitis. So, yeah. So, kind of, what's what's the normal practice at your church about who you about baptism? So, you've got a couple that are members. And they're about to have a child. Now what? Yeah, well, obviously I, I want, you know, usually they'll bring it up to me that they want to have the child to be baptized. And they'll they'll start to discuss dates with me as to when that might occur. And, and or if they don't bring it up, you know, I will in a natural way. Now, that's if we're talking about people that come to church, if we're talking about regular attenders, then it's real easy. Um, most likely they're going to continue to be regular attenders. They may at first drop off a little bit because they're still getting used to the baby, you know, not sleeping at night and the baby crying and feeling self-conscious in the church with a crying baby or wiggly baby. So they may drop off a little bit, but if they were regular attenders beforehand, chances are good that they're going to, they're going to be faithful attenders 
afterwards as well. But when you've got people that may be on your membership roles, so in a technical way, they're members, but in terms of any type of life practice, they're not. They're not active members. Um, then all I can do, as far as I know, is to try to impress upon them the importance of that. And it's just an odd time to be trying to do that. They needed to be doing, they needed to have this conversation with me well before. Right, right. And yet, at the same time, you don't want to, uh, I don't know, there's always a tricky line in my mind between uh, sort of inserting yourself into a situation. Right. Or on the other hand, simply being being pastoral and being the shepherd that looks out for a sheep. Well, and, you know, we have to understand the culture's changing, too, where what once upon a time would have been understood as the role of the pastor today might be seen as intrusive. I, I don't think there's any question about that. And I yeah. know. Uh, so, so as I think of the gambit, that I have that I have dealt with over the years. On the one hand, you've got the these are the regular members, these are the people that were there before, they're there during, they're gonna be there after. That that part is um is pretty easy, is pretty stable. Then we have um infants and children kind of as category one and adults as category two. Yeah. So um so you have uh, well, and maybe I should ask this: If someone comes off the street to you, let's go to the extreme. This yeah. is someone you've never met. Somebody's looking up a Lutheran church in the phone book because their aunt Matilda was Lutheran, and they heard that Lutherans did spiritual stuff. Um, somebody calls up and says, "Hey, I was wondering if you could baptize my kids." What do you say? Right. Well, I've had, I've that's not so strange. I've had that happen. Me too. You've had it happen too. Well, our name um, isn't Matilda, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean that exact scenario where someone contacts me and says, "You know what? Um, you know the uh, the the father is Catholic, the the uh, mother is nominally Lutheran, but they haven't been to church either of them really in any meaningful sense for ages or if ever." And um, but they, for whatever reason, are calling me up. I always try to meet with them. You know, and I guess I'm such, I guess I'm a little bit of an optimist at heart and I want to believe, you know, I want to believe that these people are going, having a child has caused in them a, a spiritual awakening of sorts and that they real, recognize a need and maybe at first it's imperfect and they think, well, it's good for the kids and they don't see it as something that they need. But, you know, I'll work with that and I'll try to I, I sit down with them. I try to counsel them. I'll usually go through several sessions with them to discuss baptism and the Christian life, not just what's going to happen on that Sunday morning, but what is Christianity? And, um, you know, in, in, in the course of which, of course, it's natural for me to talk about the need for the means of grace and to hear the gospel. Right. And then they may show up in church a little bit. Um, but, uh, it has happened to me where I, I expect and hope and pray that they will become regular attenders and active members, but frequently they don't. Right. And then what? Honestly, that's not all that different from anybody else. I mean, no, people right. come and go all the time and I'm not suggesting this to say that we should just, you know, sort of baptize everybody and let God sort them out. Um, right. The fire hose approach. 
I mean, if someone told me, if they said to me, look, we just want you to baptize our child. We have no intention of joining your church or becoming attenders at your services. We're not interested. That's, you know, we're just, we want, we think the child should be baptized. So we want you to do that and leave us alone. You know, at that point, I I think I've never had it happen where they've actually said that. I've suspected that that was probably going to be the same outcome, but no one's actually – if they did say that, I probably would say, you know what? I don't know if you're ready to to undertake the sacrament of baptism here. Um, I I don't know. What would you do if someone just said, look, we're not interested in becoming church members. We just want the baptism. Well, I've had that happen before actually. Have Um, you? Yeah, I have. And – I, I usually try not to have those conversations on the telephone to start right. with. Right. Um, you know, if they're going through the, you remember what phone books are, right? Do you remember? Not phone really. Books? Not, not really. really. Yeah, me neither. Um, but I've heard about them. Yeah. Um, if if they were looking through, uh, if they found us on Google, there we go. Now yeah. We're, now we're hip. I feel much. <laughs> found better. our website. Yeah. Yeah. They found our website. Found a phone number. Blah blah blah. Um, and and asks. And then I say, well, you know, baptism is an incorporation into the body of Christ. It's a, it's, it's incorporation into the church. And so by being, by my baptizing you or by my baptizing this child, this child becomes a member of our congregation, not, not of the invisible church, wherever it might be. And I think that's a part of what people don't get. Yeah. Is that, um, is that I, as a pastor, am not an independent spiritual agent. I don't, um, I, you know, I don't do weddings for hire. I don't do funerals for hire. I don't do baptisms for hire. Um, right. I am the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church, and everything that I do as a pastor is as the pastor of this place. Now, that that may encompass people beyond actual members. I mean, that mm-hmm. may include mm-hmm. inquirers, visitors. I mean, obviously there is an evangelistic character, but even in that evangelistic character, I am only acting as the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Um, but I think that most people don't understand that. They think of so this as a uh, justice of the peace, essentially. Yeah, I think you're right. So, But we're not rent a rev, you know, right. rent a rev. And, uh, you know, I know that people do that. I know that there are pastors that do that. And, you know, on the one hand, my impulse is to say, you know, look, they're asking for baptism. This is a, this is, this is good. This is something we want to encourage. And of course I do, but, you know, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, look, this is about something bigger than just, um, one moment on one Sunday. This right. is about being incorporated into the corpus and <laughs> into the body. Well, not and, to get all not to get all theological on us. Oh but, no, no, right. But I mean, you look at Matthew twenty-eight, and the relationship there is between baptizing and teaching. Mm-hmm. And whether it is baptism first, then teaching in the case right. of infants, or it is teaching and then baptizing in the case of adults. In either case, you're talking about there is a relationship between hearing the word of God, learning learning God's word in some capacity or another and baptism. Yeah. And I mean, we actually, this coming Sunday have the perfect example of that with uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch right. um, where, where you've got Philip needs to be catechized. He needs to be taught. How can, how can I understand what these words mean unless someone guides me? 
The uh, eunuch needs to be catechized. The eunuch, right. The eunuch yeah. needs to be catechized. So so there we have an, a, a very concrete example in the scriptures. He's catechized. He's clearly a, um, a, a proselyte or a God-fearer of some capacity. And and so so this is not his first foray into the scriptures. Um, he is he is familiar enough with it to have it, his own pocket edition scroll of Isaiah in his chariot, right. which I am rather curious about, but I don't have any answers to. Um, but then when the catechesis is at the right point, then he is baptized. So that but the point I'm trying to make here is that is the relationship between teaching and baptism. Um, and that I think is a part of what we miss. Maybe the reason, Scott, that we miss that is because um, is because people don't understand what it is that makes baptism what it is. Is that that baptism is essentially magic or a sort right. of spiritual rabbit's foot or something like that? Uh, that they don't understand the relationship between baptism and the Word of God, right? Or baptism and the church. Right, the and Church of Jesus Christ. Yeah, all of that, all of that kind of tied in together. So that well, makes it that makes it really difficult. It really does. Yeah, I use that Matthew passage as well. And I, in fact, I just did this. I just had this conversation with someone, and I used the Ethiopian eunuch passage as well. And then there's also the jailer of Philippi, right? Where when when he you know uh, was going to slay himself when the earthquake opened up the, the shackles and the cell doors, and Paul says no, and it says it says that he taught him. Before and then he and his whole household were baptized, so that teaching and baptism go together, and you can't just sort of dissociate them and make baptism sort like you said, sort of a magic or, or sort of a just a ritual that uh, that is important for cultural reasons. I don't really even know why is someone so eager to have a baptism. You, I'm suspicious that it has to do with pleasing grandma or something like right. that. Sometimes, right. something along those lines. So, so let me toss out a couple of the, uh, I would say, edge cases where okay. the the pastoral relationship is spotty at best. Um, so you've got a grandmother who's a member of your congregation comes to you and says, uh, "I want to get my grandkids baptized." The uh, but my uh, my deadbeat daughter doesn't doesn't want them baptized. But I have custody. I have partial custody of them, uh, or I have them for the summer. Can we baptize them while they're at my house? Wow. Yeah i I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could do a baptism. I have never had that particular scenario. But if um, if the parents of the child were vocally opposed, um, you know, where you kind of threw the monkey wrench in there was the custody. Who actually has the responsibility to raise this child? Right. So there's a kind of a basic fourth commandment yeah, authority yeah. question there. Well, and it's, it's, it's a fourth commandment thing, but it also goes back to the teaching thing. If the parents have expressed an unwillingness to baptize, that I, I assume that you know, that implies that they're not going to want to instruct them in the Word of God either. I think that's a fair assumption. All right, now, it could also— no, it could all. It could also be that you know, given the just the facts as you've laid them out, it could also be that the daughter belongs to a Baptist church and is very active in church, but simply rejects infant baptism. Right. And the grandmother wants the child to be baptized because she believes in infant baptism. And you know, again, I, that that would actually, I would still go back to the a fourth commandment thing. I would think, you know, what it, it really does have to be the responsibility of the parents to 
to request this. I don't know if I could do that over their objection. All right, so let's back it up again. This is a this is a fun little game. I like yeah. I like putting you on the spot. So uh, it's yeah, good for yeah, you. yeah. Well, you didn't tell us what you would do. Oh, well, I haven't yet. No, um, and I will. I promise. So so let's let's back it up a second and say, uh, Grandma comes to you and says, "My uh, uh, my son's going to be in town with his family." Um, but his, uh, but his newborn child is six months old and hasn't been, hasn't been, been baptized yet. He doesn't really go to church anymore. He's not opposed to it. It's just not important to him. Could you baptize him? Well, it's hard to give a yes or no, isn't it? I know. Uh, I know. Uh, I, and, and I'm, I'm just kind of playing with this. Yeah. Thinking, think, cause these are exactly the kind of yeah. scenarios that we as pastors deal with all the time. Well, you know, we do, I would go back to what we've said, said is that we do understand baptism as something other than just sort of a one shot off right. kind of thing, that right. it is part of being, a, you know, of a life in Christ, not just simply a ritual. Right. And the, the fact that the son is not opposed to it is good. But if they are, I mean, I would, if they're not church attenders, Todd, they're heathen. (laughs) I mean, let's just be frank. Okay. They're heathen. And, um, you know, baptism just to satisfy grandma is, I don't think that should, I can't go with that. I don't think. It's a, it's a tough line. It is because there is at least in in a case like that, there is at least some, uh, some willingness, some hope. And for my part as a pastor, I'm. Uh, I ultimately would probably come down where you do on that. Um, but uh, for my part as a pastor, I want to uh, – I, I feel like we're we're talking about X-Files here or something. I want to believe. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to uh, – I, I want to see to, – to, to hope that this is going to end well for this child. Um, but it's difficult when you're in these cases where my – pastoral care responsibility to this child is at best unclear. Uh, if not very clear, that is, I don't have any. Yeah. Right. And that's, and that's really the pickle is that from the, from your perspective, from my perspective, baptism is not, is not a spiritual rabbit's foot. It's not a one-off. It, it is incorporation into the body of Christ. It's all of this other stuff, but um, most people aren't going to understand that, and and it's always a struggle to say, "All right, am I penalizing the child for the ignorance of the parents?" Now well, that's an interesting question. Now, now I had a uh, at one point uh, I had a neighboring parish that had the practice of of baptizing any child that went to their school or their vacation Bible school. Period. No questions asked. They didn't ask the parents. They just this is a part of what they did in chapel, um, and what that meant was, very practically speaking, was that there were literally dozens, if not hundreds, of people that had been baptized there over the over the decades, and that nobody had any knowledge or record of it, and that they had no real affiliation with the church other than and being in the roster. Exactly. And so uh, so kind of functionally speaking that meant that the numbers at the church looked good. Yeah. But um but there was no pastoral care relationship. 
and that's uh and that's tricky too it is yeah i i i think that that i mean that's it sounds generous it, you know it sounds gracious it sounds like it's an affirmation of the power of baptism the efficacy of baptism but um i i think it springs from a a false view of baptism and i would i would really be troubled by that to be honest yeah. um yeah, to just simply baptize, no questions asked, no, uh, you know, think about what they would have done in the early church. I mean, and you know, we know that infant baptism dates from the probably the time of the apostles. Yep. And um, but you know, for the first few decades, at least, if not longer, the probably the majority of people were adult or or adolescent or older children, right. and infants came along for the ride. But um, you know, in the ancient church, being baptized involved was ve- was a very involved process. You know, it wasn't just something that you just did. And right. uh, you know, it it, in, it, in, it it they certainly included catechesis, and it and it might last for a long time, and more than just sort of four or five sit downs. That yeah, that's not. I would I would be troubled by that. Um, it's hard to say. You know what I mean? It's, it's hard to make blanket condemnations of practice. No, but and, uh, and that's not my intention. Yeah, um, I know. But uh, but it it highlights again both the the gift and the responsibility that we as pastors carry in bearing this office. That uh, that I have a responsibility. To these people whom I baptize, um, I pray for them. I rem- I remember them. Um, uh, some some time back, I uh, listed a a book uh, that was my that that's basically my pastoral care journal where I where I write down oh, yeah. all right. of the baptisms and weddings and funerals and everything else that I do. Um, and I do that quite intentionally so that I will <laughs> I will remember these people whom God has entrusted to me because it is easy to it is easy to forget these things in the hustle and the bustle of uh, of daily pastoral life. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think we need to move away from sort of an idolization of the roster, you know, of the congregation, right? The church membership. Is not about having your name on a list, and and that's not going to be easy to untangle. But it is really a knot that needs to be cut. Yep, in my yep. opinion, agreed. And it's um, well, I you think of the persecution of Christians around the world. Uh, I don't think that you are doing someone a favor by baptizing them without their family knowing what they're getting into. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. That there are people that are martyred every day, nearly, for the Christian faith, and that this is a, a, a wonderful gift, a tremendous gift that we give. But it is not something that, to uh, to quote a different right, that should be uh, given inadvisedly. Inadvisedly, in I can't. How come I can't talk? No, about you said it. You're doing it right. Inadvisedly, but but reverently and in accordance with the purposes for which God intended it. That's right. kind of our uh, our picture that we uh, uh, that we try to portray. Now so, we've been kind of we've been kind of wrestling around with uh, with the negatives. Um, 
I want to take a take a quick break here and and just say first of all I I neglected to mention at the beginning that we're at episode 16. This is our sweet 16 episode, Scott. Congratulations. Awesome. Um this we, should, we didn't even have a quinceanera. I know. What were we thinking? Um so this is episode 16. You can find the show notes here at the crux of the matter.net slash podcast slash 16. I would encourage you to uh, write some feedback for us. Uh, and you can do that by either going to that webpage and finding the contact us link or by simply emailing us at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net. And you can find us there. And I am confident that our listeners have lots of questions about pastoral practice surrounding baptism. Um, I know that we have just barely scratched the surface of it here, that there is a lot more that we could talk about. But it's a uh, it's it's really a good one. And I know that we've kind of been been rolling in a relatively negative way here and saying when we don't. Uh, but I do want to highlight that I would consider doing baptisms to be one of my absolute favoritest things to do as a pastor. This is a great tremendous gift and honor. I'm meeting with a uh, with a young family tonight to talk about scheduling the baptism for their uh, for their newborn daughter and it's going to be awesome. So Yeah, I love a, it too. It's great fun. Right. It's yeah, great fun. It's, it, it is it is a joy and and um you know, I've done baptisms for adults although usually almost always in my in my ministry it's been at infants. But I have baptized adults and older children, and um, you know, there's just nothing like it. It is a, it yep. is a tremendous joy and an honor and a privilege. Yep, I totally agree. Shall we uh, move on, my friend? You think we've sure. uh, started to scratch this enough? Yeah. Um, our friend of the show for this week is uh, is a little bit off of the beaten path from what we have been doing because we've mostly been doing uh, online presence people, either institutions or individuals, I want to highlight a, uh, a friend and mentor of mine whose name is Pastor Charles Wildner. Um, mm. Pastor Wildner is the pastor at St. Thomas Lutheran Church in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, as, as of this recording, Baltimore is currently in the middle of a, uh, a series of riots, the like of which the city has, um, has never seen, I don't think. And it is, uh, it's been scary. And I, I did a summer vicarage with Pastor Wildner 22 years ago, I think. And he is an incredible man. This congregation is in the middle of the inner city. This is the sweep the needles off the front porch sort of place. And they have been ministering to and caring for uh, those in need and sharing the gospel for over a century now. And Pastor Wildner has been at the heart of that. And I haven't had any contact with him, so I don't know how he's doing or even what he's doing in connection with the riots, other than to know him and know that whatever he's doing is right where he ought to be. So God bless you, my friend. Yeah, and the, the folks that are affected are in our prayers. Yes, absolutely. So what's bringing you joy this week, Scott? Well, as true to form, I usually pick a book, and I've been reading a book this last couple of weeks that um, uh, is bringing me illumination, if not joy, and it's called Beyond Bumper Sticker Ethics. You know, we, we tend to, I, I've been doing a lot of study in ethics and bioethics, as you know, and we tend to 
try to reduce complex ideas down to just pithy statements. And that's not usually good. You can't usually do that. Um, it, it makes things, it belittles things. And so what he does is he takes about, I think there's 11 different ethical theories that he approaches, like, you know, Kant's deontology or, you know, Aristotle's virtue ethics or, you know, various different theories on how to make ethical decisions. And he takes sort of a bumper sticker saying that might apply to that and then expands it into a whole chapter. So it's got 11 chapters of substantive, uh, but yet brief enough that you can get your head wrapped around a bunch of different ethical approaches, ethical theories by just reading one book. And it's been, I, I mean, it's been illuminating, but it's also a very clever way to, to package things. And so that's given me joy this week. Do you happen to have it with you? Could you uh, could you uh, give me an example of one of these bumper sticker sayings? I will. I will look it up. Why don't you go ahead and tell right. what you're – I'll do my thing while you're looking it up and we'll swing there back you go. to you. Okay. Um, my, uh, uh, my joy for this week, there are a couple, but I'm going to go with one and that is also a book by a, uh, a, a friend and uh, – not quite a classmate. He was, I think, a year behind me in seminary uh, named Dr. Ed Grimenstein. Uh, Dr. Grimenstein works at the International Center um, with uh, recruiting, training, and and deploying missionaries. But uh, he's written a book that Concordia Publishing House has just released called A Lutheran Primer for Preaching, A Theological and Practical Approach to Sermon Writing. Um, I'm, I'm a couple chapters into this, and I'm really enjoying it because what he is trying to get at basically is why is it that we have the goods of the gospel, and yet so often our our sermons are are lacking the richness and depth that they can. And so he tries to get back to basics and uh, and look at this. I'll, uh, I'll maybe give us a little bit more detailed review in a couple of weeks after I've finished it. But right now, that's what I'm reading, and I'm really getting a kick out of it. Okay, so here's a couple of examples of taking a um, prominent ethical theory and reducing it to a bumper sticker. And when in Rome, all right, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And that he uses as an example of cultural relativism. <laughs> right? And that kind of is clever, right? It's yep. clever. Yep. And, uh, you know, some of these are obvious and some of them are more clever than others. You know, like ethical egoism, which is Ayn Rand kind of thinking right. that right. Um, selfishness is good, greed is good. Look out for number one. That, that's the bumper one. sticker. Um, or uh, survival of the fittest. Well, that's, that's evolutionary ethics, obviously. Right. I couldn't help myself. Behaviorism. Yep. Uh, you know, so it, 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 he just goes through a bunch of different ones, and I find it very, very yeah, it's yeah. a great way to approach. Yeah, well, and 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 just kind of unpacking what may be behind some of those sayings, which frankly may slip into our preaching occasionally too, is probably a helpful thing. Well, like for situation ethics, right? You know, we've all heard of Joseph Fletcher's situation ethics, but right. his his summary statement of that is: all you need is love. All, all you, you need, need is, is love. love. Right. And that, that's a helpful way to remember. I mean, you know, obviously these things are oversimplified, but it's a helpful way to remember. Oh, now I can I can I can unpack that now having read that now that you remind me what that little right. summary statement is. Cool. Interesting. Well, our reading is uh, varied yep. as usual, as are the interests. But uh, it's as always, Scott, a pleasure talking with you. And Likewise. Do you have any uh, any last words for our dear listeners? 
No, thanks for listening, and we do enjoy feedback. Yep, please let us have it. By the way, while I'm thinking of it, uh, we are we are hot on the heels of getting reviews for iTunes. Uh, and my goal, Scott, is for us to double our number of reviews this week. Now, that shouldn't be too hard because I think that means we need to get two reviews. Do you think we can handle it? Well, I mean, other than me and you. Oh, okay. You and I Darn. Don't count. All right. Okay. Not this time, at least. But, that would uh, have been the easy way. Yeah, it would give us great joy if we could get some reviews onto iTunes because that's going to help raise visibility for the show. So yeah. thanks very much, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next time.